Rebellions are built on hope. Incoming transmission. Radio Rebellion. Welcome to another episode of Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. How are you guys doing? Welcome as always. I am your host, Alberto Calderon, and I am happy to be here as always. So thank you guys for joining us today. Have a great show. We're talking episode five of The Bad Batch Rampage. Ooh, so much controversy about little Moochie. Moochie, we all love Moochie. And of course, we're also doing our spoiler review of the latest Throne novel, greater good we got it here you know red and black i got my red star wars shirt today my troopers red and black we're talking throne ascendancy greater good i mean yeah greater good you gotta you gotta represent with your attire but how are you guys doing thanks for joining us on another great star wars weekend it's gonna be awesome so what a week in star wars how how do you guys past this past week was it fun Did you guys enjoy all, all the discourse out there man twitter twitter's a place man it's this week it was a roller coaster of star wars not a lot of actual news but a lot of stuff out there it all started i think it was tuesday we had the phase two or wave two of the high republic the embargo lifted and some non-spoiler reviews came out of uh, those wave two novels, uh, everything was positive. Everything was very positive. All those three books, which are coming out in a few weeks, end of June is when the first two come out. And then in July, the third one comes out, um, Out of the Shadows from Justina Ireland, that comes out in July. But the other two come out in a couple of weeks. So the embargo lifted some great feedback for those. So everyone was in a high, all the Star Wars, social media was on a high, everyone was very happy. And then at some point close to noon or something, I think it was Collider released an interview with JJ Abrams talking about the 10th anniversary of one of his other movies, Super 8. And then a question was posed or the topic came up. I haven't seen the video, I've seen some of the, um, the articles about it. And the topic of the sequel trilogy came out about having a story, planning everything out, which has been a point of contention, to say the least, for the sequel trilogy. A lot of people that have issues with the sequel, tr sequel trilogy use that as their biggest thing. There wasn't a story plan. There wasn't a, a whole, it wasn't mapped out. So the question was posed to JJ, or so it was brought up, and he said that, if we could do things different, some things are better when you plan out and they work out sometimes. You just go with the flow, see what, what it feels. So he will do things different. And then everyone went back on a negative streak on Star Wars Twitter. The same discourse that we have for two years from The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Why you do this? Why you do that? It was just a mess, a bunch of negativity. But then by the end of the day, thank you, Christina Real, everyone from the High Republic show. The High Republic show came out around 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern. 
great show as always. Uh, we got some new new news, also new books and comics coming out for the High Republic, and then everyone was in a positive state of mind again. So yeah, Star Wars was a roller coaster of emotions earlier this week. And then yesterday we had the Bad Batch come out. Of course, we're gonna spend uh, most of our time talking about it. Moochie, the Rancor. If you're watching this, this is spoilers, but everyone know who Moochie is. And then that created another <laughs> chaos on Twitter yesterday. Is he, or is he or is he not the Rancor from Return of the Jedi? We'll get into it. And then some old comment from John Boyega talking about returning to the saga. And that created more drama yesterday. Again, they're just recycling all their news just to create all this drama. Uh, yeah, I couldn't take it. It's it's too much. Let's just focus on the positivity like we do here. So let's go ahead. We, we're talking Bad Batch. We're talking Throne Ascendancy in Greater Good. So let's go on. But as always, if you're watching this live right now, thank you, all you guys on the chat. Thanks for being here. We're going to have fun as always. Make sure that you're hitting that like button. Hit that thumbs up. If you're not subscribed to the show, make sure to subscribe. Subscribe. We're going up in our subscriber numbers. And of course, leave us a comment down below if you're watching this later on the replay or if you're coming back and watching it again. Um, let us know what you thought. What your overall thoughts on the Bad Batch so far, your thoughts on this fifth episode rampage, and then your thoughts on Chaos Rising. Are you reading the Throne novels? Are you excited about the two that we've gotten already, and then we have the third one, Lesser Evil, coming out, I think, in November, finishing up this, finally. I'm guessing that sixth Throne novel, canon Throne novel, so maybe that's it for Throne. We'll see. All right, so before we start, as always, let's say hi to a couple of people that are in the chat. Our friend Dale. Dale is back. How are you doing, Dale? It's been a while. You've been a busy man, Dale. Thanks for joining us today. And, of course, our friend Mr. Rez. Tony's here. Having a lot of fun. And yeah, multitasking, Dale. That's the way you got to do it. Multitask. Keep working. Have one earbud on. It doesn't matter. And Muchi, yeah, Muchi, not the discourse. Not a much. I don't know. There's something. So Muchi was everywhere. So I didn't watch the episode till about 7.30 at night. But I knew the whole story about Muchi. Because, of course, even if we say, don't spoil anything, by 6.30 in the morning, Everything on Twitter is Bad Bash related. So you couldn't escape it. I couldn't escape Moochie. And for the most part, I didn't see a lot of negativity about it. Everyone loved Moochie. And some people, and we'll go more, more into it when we talk about the episode. It was easy or easy not. I think it's Moochie was a, a male rancor. I'm forgetting now. It doesn't matter. Um, is he the one from Return of the Jedi or not? Are they retconning? Because I guess that one had a different name, Pala or whatever. Oh, Mochi's female. Thank you, Dale. Oh, here we are. And Patisa. Patisa? Patesa. Let's say Patisa is the rancor from Return of the Jedi. Patisa is a male and means Frenzy Hotis. That's what I read. Again, I've never heard this. I didn't know that that rancor had a name. Dale, let me know if you know where that was revealed. Book, novel, expanded universe in the credits. It doesn't matter. Patisa. Muchi is Patisa just uh, or Muchi just a, a nickname. Are they retconning again? Eh, who doesn't matter? It's a rancor. Have fun with it. Have fun with it. Um, so, all right. So, let's get on it. If you guys are ready, I know I'm ready. Let's talk Star Wars. And today, I've said it before, we are talking episode five of The Bad Batch. 
Rampage. It's another great episode. And I put it on Twitter earlier today. I didn't, or was it last night? It might, might, might have been last night. I can't remember. Finally, I'm starting to jump into the Omega bandwagon. I got one foot in on the, I, I'm holding by one hand. I have my other foot in. I mentioned last week when we did our review recap of the first four episodes because I, I hadn't gotten to them. I mean, I had watched them. I just was taking a break from the podcast for a couple of weeks that I like Omega. I wasn't sold on her like everyone else was. Since the first five minutes that she showed up on screen, everyone was, I'll die for Omega. No one touched Omega. Omega's the next. Don't mess with her. And I liked Omega. I wasn't. And okay, she's a new character. She's okay. I know as a parent, why are you doing that, Omega? No, stranger danger. I said it last week. Why are you going with Fennec Shen? That's a stranger. Just because it's she's a woman and she said, oh, I'll help you find your friends. That's how you get you. That's how they get you. You only need a little candy. One of those, what is it? Turkish delight, like the like Simo. That's how they get you, stranger danger. So I had some issues, not issues, but I liked Omega. I wasn't head over heels. But on this episode, she got me, and we'll, we'll get into it. All right, so just a quick recap. This episode starts, they're going to Ort Mandel, Ort Mantel, which we've heard this before in the movies, and they're going to find an old Jedi contact. Echo said, hey, there's an old contact here that the Jedi used to use, and we're going to get in touch with that person, and... His name is Sid. They didn't know who he was. I think Record said he or whatever. His name is Sid, and hopefully that person is gonna is gonna help us know who who this bounty hunter was and why is they tracking us. They didn't know who Fennec Chan was and all that. So they get to Old Mandel, Old Mantel, and I'll say that was I. I don't know how many times we can say here, Twitter, everyone saying how beautiful this show looked. The animation is outstanding. And it keeps going this episode. What I'm starting to notice, and I should have noticed as soon as the series started, you can see the budget for this show is a lot different than it was for Rebels back in 2014 when that show started. Season one of Rebels was mostly everything on Lothal, very sandy, everything looked alike. So there wasn't a lot of different landscapes, all the planets were very similar to then the following seasons. It started getting a little bit more traction. The show was more popular, so it got more of a bigger budget for it. Here, since episode one, we mentioned it last time when they went on Pantora, how beautiful that planet looked. I love that look of Pantora. And now even going to Ord Mantel, it's also a different look. And it show you, again, how, how high the budget for this, for this show is that it can go to all these different planets all of them look different. Um, here, it was very, no I don't want to say noticeable, but Old Mantel had different environments. So it had this kind of alleyway look, similar to Pantora, but not as high scale, I guess. There was this alleyways. We can see the colorful signs. They, they go into seats, um, business, then to her office. Everything looks different. Then they go to the actual outside, which was more dusty. Some of them were more used to in Star Wars. They came back to to Sid's office. So it was a lot of changing. So you can see how big the budget is. That makes this show look beautiful. The best looking Star Wars show out there. I mean, Resistance was pretty good. It's just a different type of animation. So I love Sid. 
female Trandoshan. And correct me if I'm wrong, all you guys out there, is this the first time we see a female Trandoshan? We're used to those bounty hunter Trandoshans, Trandoshans on Rebels and Clone Warriors Season 7, working in the docks, every day, every man job. Here we get a female Trandoshan, look great, a different type of Trando that we've seen before. And I like, I like that we've seen this. I mentioned before how much I like aliens that were just mundane day-to-day -day jobs. I love seeing now a female version of it with Sid working this kind of rundown bar or game setup. There's some pinball machines, it looks like. And then they go down to her office because she's this contact that the Jedi used to use. Jedi are gone, so they have to figure this out. So she's the one that they show her a hologram of Fennec Shan. They don't know who it is. Hey, can you help us? Who this bounty hunter is or who who this person is and she says i don't know who she is but i know a bounty hunter when i see one i need you guys to do something for me and then in the meantime i'll get information about her i need you to find this kid for me some slavers have this kid, some siberian slavers her name is Muchi, and i need you to bring her back because my employer wants her back all right we'll find your we'll find your missing Muchi. And then that's when the episode starts and gets exciting. So let's circle back a little bit and go talk about Omega. I mentioned at the beginning that this was the episode that Omega really connected with me because she felt like an actual kid. This time Omega reminded me of both my kids when Tech give her, gives her the comm device and she starts using it um, Wrecker, where are you? Or Tech, where are you? Echo comes in. Hey, it's not a toy. Okay, not a toy. If you get a kid a walkie-talkie, that's exactly what they're going to do. I remember my kids doing this with, okay, turn it off, turn it off. He, she she used it again in the in Sid's office. So it reminded me completely of my kids and all the kids out there. Another great thing about Omega that has her... Um, looking more or acting more like a regular kid, which is what we expect now that she's starting, she's out of Camino, it's been out, seeing the world a little bit, so hopefully starting to act more, quote unquote, normal as a child. The earlier episode, she got that Stone Trooper, that Clone Trooper toy. Now she's working with it, changing its appearance to look like a Bad Batch character. Again, it's something that every kid does. If you have children, or even when we were younger, we all changed our toys. If you had a Barbie, you cut her hair, dyed her hair, do whatever. You have GI Joes, you change them all around to look like you want them to look. So she's doing this for that Clone Trooper toy, changing it more to a Bad Bash toy, which again, which again are things that kids do in their day-to-day -day regular lives as happy kids, that's what they do. So it's great to see Omega doing this, starting to, even though it's crazy world that she's in now, doing some some things that regular kids do. So really love seeing that. Um, so let's get it to it is, sorry, I drink some water. I love the Siberian slavers. And let me repeat that. I love the look of the Siberian slavers. I don't love the slave trade. I don't like that. I love the look of those Siberian slavers, kind of very feline-like, kind of cat-like. The armor was pretty awesome. And of course, they got the Bad Batch. They surprised them, took them in. Bad Batch is lost. They thought the little girl down by the ravine was Moochie. So they get caught, and then Omega has to come and rescue them. 
and she finds the actual Muchi, this rancor, this juvenile rancor, and lets her loose, and then chaos ensues. Cool thing. Um, I mean, a lot of cool things in this episode. I, I feel myself myself saying cool thing a lot of times, but we know Hunter. Hunter's the tracker of the group. He's a great tracker. As soon as Muchi wrecks havoc, she comes out, knocks all the Siberian slavers out of the way, doesn't care. Then that guy comes out with his energy whip, which is a great design. Again, if you were reading High Republic and you read A Test of Courage, we know that Vernestra Rowe, one of those young Jedi, has a lightsaber that turns into a whip, a light whip. So here we see this energy whip that we had seen in the trailer before. And we saw it again here. We finally see it here. But then Mochi just goes and wrecks shop. Goes running, starts knocking people out. All these Aguirre slavers get knocked out. And then Hunter goes, oh, we got to we gotta follow Mochi. We got to get her because that's our job. This is a Aguirre slaver right there on the floor, just knocked out. Hunter kneels down next to it, kind of looks at the floor and then points. Oh, she went that way. Really? Do you, do you need to track a 700-pound, 10-foot-tall rancor in this desert? I don't think there's a lot of places for Muchi to hide. So it was funny and kind of questioning, why does Wrecker need to start going all the tracking to find Muchi? Just follow the trail of dead bodies or the screaming rancor. I think it'll be easy to find, Hunter. But that's fine. You're dark, or, dark and broody, like Sid said at the end. Another thing that I love about this episode and all the design was the that flying reptile that the Sagirians have, or a Bresak. She's the one that knocks out Echo, who was the lookout, and then the lead of the Sagirians uses it to fight Muchi. So I love that Bresak, love the design. The face and the neck look a little bit like the Silo Beast, which was a great callback, of course, a lot smaller. It was great seeing another monster in Star Wars. And then we have that fight between Muchi and the Bresak, which was pretty awesome. Muchi ends up biting her tail twice, smacking her again, smacking that Bresak against the floor, throwing it against the rocks and the mountain cliff. So a pretty good fight. And then, of course, Wrecker finally gets to do what Wrecker does. Oh, yes, this I can do. Because the Echo goes, he checks his little data pad. Yeah, Rancors is a... Uh, an alpha society, uh, hierarchy society, unite to fight the alpha for dominance and record finally, yes, this I can do. Starts beating, <laughs> beating up on this adolescent rancor. They trade blows and by the end, it's like Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, right? Who can last the longest? Or just, ugh, ugh, just trading blows. Which was pretty exciting. A good way to see that end. Everyone else comes in, oh, How's he doing? Oh, he's lost a step or two, but they're on the last couple of punches. Just go down, fall asleep. Finally, Muchi falls asleep, and they're going to bring her back to Sid. In the meantime, we finally see who Sid has been working for. First, it was a hologram, and then he comes out. Beep Fortuna. My Wallawanka. Speaking hot teas, which I love hot teas in Star Wars, looks sounds so awesome. That's one thing that if you hear hot teas, you know you're watching Star Wars. So Jabba the Hutt's name is never mentioned, but he does say my employer needs 
I, actually, sorry, Sid does say Jabba the Hutt's right hand man comes, right hand person or man comes to visit. And he's like, yeah, we need Muchi back. Someone took her from us, we need Muchi back. So here we go. So the big dilemma for Muchi, is Muchi the same rancor as Patisa, like Dale said? If you are like Dale and a lot of people out there who know who Patisa was, that there was a name for it, that is a male rancor, Muchi is a female rancor, then no, it's completely different rancors. Then the other side of the argument is, are they retconning something again? At the beginning of the series, they did a small retcon of Order 66 for the way Depa Banaba, Banaba and Caleb Dune deal with Order 66. People got some issue with it. So are they retconning again and now saying that Patisa in Return of the Jedi is actually Muchi? Again, I don't care. It's a rancor. If it's Muchi, Patisa, the same one, different ones, I don't care. It doesn't change the story. The name changes. Again, it doesn't change the story, which is Luke Skywalker killed a rancor. Is it Muchi? Then we got to go, Luke. You've been losing it, Luke. In A New Hope, you were killing Wamprats. Poor Wamprats just trying to live. You were killing them. If you kill Muchi, Return of the Jedi, we got a problem now because now this is a pattern. A lot of psychopaths out, out there, they start killing little kitties, little cats, then graduate to humans. So if you started killing Womp Rats, then Moochie, and then whatever happened with Ben Solo, maybe it's your fault, Luke. I'm just saying, you gotta be careful, Luke. You're, there's a pattern growing. I hope that wasn't Moochie, the says Patisa. <laughs> um, again, it's good fun. Um, for me, it doesn't change the story, it doesn't make something better or worse if it's the retcon in the name of the rancor. Again, there's bigger things to complain about or want to be enforced. The name of a rancor that's not named in the movie, I believe, is not one of them. So have fun with it. Patisa, Muchi, it's all cool. So then basically the episode ends, they go back to Sid, uh, Fortuna's there, they, and the Gamorian guards, awesome, seeing them. They take Mochi and they leave. But then Sid takes Hunter, Dark and Broody, back to her office and shows, hey, this is Fennec Shan, brand new bounty hunter in the singing, but she's making a name for herself. So if she's after you guys, you got a problem. Um, I reach out to my guild folks, and she, of course, excuse me. I ate right before I started recording, so I got a little bit of gas, so we're good. So Sid also said Fennec Chance is working on a direct commission. So someone directly hired her to go after them. According to Sid, so from, from what Sid knows, Fennec Chance is after the Bad Batch, not after Omega. Of course, she can keep a secret. Wink, I can keep a secret, don't worry. Don't trust her, don't trust her. Um, but then again, who hired her for this direct commission? Again, we go to Boba Fett. Is it Boba Fett that in Clone Wars had started his own gang? I think it was the Craig Claw is the name of his bounty hunter group. Is it that? Uh, is it him? I mean, is it someone else that we haven't heard? Is it someone from the Empire? Was it Tarkin? It's not going to be Moff Gideon. 
I don't know where Gideon is at this point. He's part of the Empire. Who knows what he's doing? But it all points to Boba Fett being the one that hired Fennec Shen, and then that, of course, extends to their appearance in Season 2 of Mandalorian, and then with the book of Boba Fett coming out and both of them being most likely the leader of the show. So very cool to see where Fennec Shan's story continues. Uh, and that was basically it. The episode was a fun adventure, basically that they just needed to find who this bounty hunter was that was after them. And then a fun action adventure happens in between. So I know some people say it was filler, it didn't. It gives you a little bit more of Omega. Like I said, this episode worked for me as an Omega on the fence, start jumping into that bandwagon. As I said, I got half a hand and a, and a leg already, already on that wagon. Let's see where it goes. So very interesting for the past two episodes, we haven't seen Crosshair. He was mentioned today because that calm device that they gave Omega used to belong to Crosshair. Tech says it doesn't look like he needs it anymore. So it's yours now. Where's Crosshair? Where's the Empire? We haven't seen Tarkin empire that other new guy that i forget his name crosshair and his new division we haven't seen them for two episodes so is it next week that they're going to come i want to hear from you guys what do you think when it's crosshair coming back and the empire and follow that thread because last two only focusing on the bad batch getting supplies getting fuel for the ship now they're getting some extra money from Sid doing this work Another cool thing we might see Sid again because she tells him, hey, this is the, the life of a mer of mercenaries. And I might, if you need more money, come find me. And Hunter said, I'll, I'll keep her, I'll, I'll think about it. So maybe we see Sid again and we see the Bad Batch becoming more mercenaries. That was, if I'm not mistaken, before the series started, that was one of the rumors out there. Are they going to be this mercenary group? The, the series didn't start that way, so maybe it goes to that, or they do some more of those type of jobs. So interesting if it goes that route a little bit. Interesting to see Sid again, get start getting some recurring characters. We know Fennec Chan is coming back. If we get more Sid, it's awesome. I love that Chandoshan design. So we'll see. Hopefully next week, some people are starting to get nervous because this week was a light episode, very fun and engaging. Maybe next week takes a turn to the dark. So... We'll see Wrecker didn't hit his head. I mean, he hit his head a couple of times because Mushi threw him against a couple of rocks. But at the beginning, he's holding his head. He has, has a headache again. So they're still inching at it. Little by little, they keep pointing at Wrecker having issues with his head. I think it's too obvious. I think they're just telegraphing that something's going to happen to his inhibitor chip and he will be the next one to turn. I think it's too obvious and something else is going to happen. But again, like I mentioned last week, if record turns and then goes against the Bad Bash, especially in that ship or they're all together, it's going to be very difficult for them to overpower record and be able to get out of there. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. So what do you guys think about Episode 5, Rampage of the Bad Bash? Let us know in the on the chat, down in the comments if you want later, or just tweet at, at us what your thoughts are on Rampage and Bad Bash in general. Before we move on to our next topic, which is our review of Thrawn Ascendancy. So one thing we forgot to mention last week when we were talking about the Bad Batch and some of the conversation out there is, is the Bad Batch too similar to the Mandalorian? And is it following the same type of tropes and arcs that we've seen before Mandalorian? We thought it was going to be 
this badass bounty hunter just wrecking shop and on episode one he finds grogu or the child at that point is just mando and the child going through different adventures and learning to be a family and taking care of each other and this child that has some special abilities that no one really knows about and then the empire and bounty hunters are chasing them because they want grogu is it the same thing with the bad batch this group of four started with still five because of echo and now omega i don't know how many are there out now there's too many people on the bad batch that we thought was going to be one thing they're either joining the empire and then coming out of it or whatever after the 66 and on episode one now it's this group of buff guys that you think are extra masculine taking this child under their wing protecting her while and going on adventures while bounty hunters and the empire are after them or after this child because there's something with her with grogu we learn on episode two of the mandalorian grogu had the force so that's what the empire wants wants him why does the empire want omega we still don't know has to do something with cloning so is it the same premise basically a group of people mercenaries bounty hunters similar armor clones taking in a child caring for them becoming a family going on adventures while the empire and bounty hunters chase after them on paper seems very similar i can still say that the show's a little bit different but i hope being 16 episode this first season that something changes that it veers somewhere else so it doesn't keep feeling more and more like the Mandalorian and following the same type of, of stories. So we'll see. What do you guys think? Is the Bad Batch so far too similar to the Mandalorian? Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat. And we'll keep talking about it. When, when will we see Fennec Shand again? You think we'll see her again? Not next week. Maybe in about two or three weeks. I think maybe. We'll see. All right, so our second topic today is the review of Chaos Rising, not Chaos Rising, sorry, Throne Ascendancy Greater Good, the second book on the Throne Trilogy, the new Throne Trilogy, because we've already had one Canon Throne Trilogy. This is the second one following the, basically a prequel. We're learning the, the history of Throne, how he became this master tactician. All right, so again, this is going to be a spoiler review. So if you haven't read Greater Good yet, don't worry about it. Pause this video, stop it, <laughs> go read Throne, come back. It's a good it's a good book. It's not a quick read, but after you've done it, come back, watch the review. Let me know what you guys thought about it. All right, so if you follow the show, follow me on Twitter, you know that was look warm a little bit warmer on chaos rising the first of this new throne trilogy i said it was too similar to all the other throne books he was thrown into a situation that only throne knew how to get out of because he's the only one with the master plan and he can see a ship changing course by three degrees and know exactly what was going to happen so it felt very similar to all the other throne books so there wasn't any stakes so I had some issues with it, and it wasn't an easy read. Greater Good, I can say, hits on those points and improves greatly, at least for me. For someone like myself that had certain issues with Greater Good, I mean, with Chaos Rising, 
greater good fix those for the most part. If you're someone that loves the previous throne books, love just focusing on throne, the master tactician, you might have some issues with greater good. And I've seen those and I'll talk about them in a minute as we go through our review. So real quick, the setup is it's more of a political thriller focus book, not a thriller, but a politically focused group book. And the thing about the cheese is that the politics are not the type of politics that we see in Star Wars, at least in the movies and in the Clone Wars TV show. It's, uh, it's familial politics. So the cheese structure is just weird. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird, it's strange and difficult to follow sometimes. There's the nine ruling families that decide everything. And if you're not in, in the nine ruling families, then you're trash. But now we learn that there's also four, 40 greater families or something like that that are vying, fighting for power to become part of the ruling families that used to be 10 or eight, you can go up and down. And if you're in this group of 40, but you're somehow aligned to the nine ruling families, then you have an in, but if someone from those nine doesn't like you from your 40, then you're out. It's weird and it's difficult to follow sometimes. And that's when um, Timothy, Timothy Son's way of writing, either you get it or you'll be, ah, I don't get this, it's a bit complicated. It is complicated, but I think greater good, it's an easier read than Chaos Rising. Maybe because you already have some of that backstory, but it's also an easier read. And it's I think it's explained a little bit better. Um, General Yif the Benevolent, who was the bad guy in that first book, is mentioned a few times here. The cheese have him and are using some of the information that he's given them to finish dealing with the Nicardum that were out there attacking the VAC combine. So that cheese defense, planetary, the expansionary defense fleet is out there just finishing the job basically. And then you still have from the cheese family, Thurfian, and I might, I'm gonna mess up all these names. That's one thing. Come on, Tim, Timothy son, Tim, help me out. Throw me a, throw me a bone, throw me a Tom or a David, uh, Rachel, Michael, give me a name. Give me one of those names because here we have Hapleaf, we have Thurfian, Sistalmu, um, I'll say more names. The names are, are they so difficult sometimes. I have here, let me find it real quick. There's a part that I'm reading. Look at all these names. Uh, where is it? I lost it. Of course I lost it. It doesn't matter. It's, I'll find it in a minute. It's just names that all start with the same letter, the same five first letter to start. You get thrown off. You don't know who's who at some point. So those are my biggest point of contention. But, and I lost my track. So let me go back. So Thurfian and Sistalmo, which were these two, not, they're part of the nine ruling families. One is a myth, the other is a Irisi, which are two very important cheese family. They're trying to get thrown, thrown the hell out. They don't like Thrawn, he bends the rules. They're trying to get rid of him. They did the same thing in the first book. They're doing it again here. But at least their plan is a little bit more 
they have they worked a little bit more on their plan they have a better idea they just want to send strong give him a fake report that there's something happening at the edge of the chaos two bands of pirates are joining together you need to go deal with it and then they can just destroy him or, or kill him or if he wins he'll break some rule and they'll have to just kick him out and then they can get more into power so that's what they want so this book we still have the memories uh which goes to the past in the first throne book the memories were just thrown going through the motion not going through emotions but thrones history basically and what i didn't like about the memories in that first book that everything that he did there then th there was basically an excuse for the things that he was doing during the present time it was oh he did it before so don't worry he can do it again here the memories are more on the villains so you start learning more about them so all right so let me let me just go through my review i know i'm sorry i'm making a lot of noise here as i move my papers around all right so again spoilers so family and honor family honor and duties are what's important to the trees especially to lakinda who's one of the new characters or one of the characters that we learn a lot more about in this book family honor and duties so here we have family honor and military duties are at at odds here it's at war do you do what you need to do to help your family or to help the cheese in general. And that's a big point of contention, especially for Lakinda, who's very family oriented. That's their motto, honor and duty. To Throne, who could, he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't do politics. He just, this, um, we gotta protect the cheese. The cheese ascendance is the most important thing. I don't care about who I'm hurting, whose feelings I'm hurting. So that comes into play here a lot. And that's why all the political intrigue that Throne doesn't know how to deal with is gonna come back and bite him. So Timothy Son returns with our favorite chief senior captain as he is faced with an enemy, enemy that dismantles its adversaries, not with overwhelming starship, but from within, driving away so deep that it takes them to a civil war. So here we have Hadleaf, which is not the main bad, as we'll get to him in a minute, but this type of adversary that's gonna be very difficult for Throne to deal with because it's not, we have this military power coming to attack you and Throne can just overthink them. He gets to know, he does very similarly what Throne does in terms that he learns the cheese structure, their politics, their way of life and uses that against them. So that's where the memories comes come in. They go back and forth on how half leaf of the Akbui is learning more about the cheese. So for greater good, Sun follows, like I mentioned, the same structure as before, weaving the story between current day action and the memories that give us more insight into some of the main characters' past. In Chaos Rising, like I mentioned before, it was thrown, but here we are seeing events unfold from the villain's point of view as we learn more about Hapleaf of the Agbui and main big bad Jigstus, a mysterious alien that has been controlling the events in the chaos. So another great thing about Chaos Rising, sorry, greater good, it's that all these memories are happening at the same time as the events of, great, of Chaos Rising. So in Chaos Rising, we know that a lot of it started because some ships of refugees came to this planet or and Throne found two of them ship. Everyone, everything else was destroyed. Almost everyone on board was dead. They didn't know what had happened. 
And then here we learn where those, who were those uh, refugees, where they came from, and all that's from the memories and all the things that we start to learn on this book. Um, yes, Dale, going back, we're talking about um, Bad Batch and kids. Yeah, I have two kids, and that's ages. And we don't know how old Omega is, right? I'm guessing between 8 and 10 maybe 10 to 11, my kids are in that range. So that's why I know, I know what they're going through. So I know that's why I'm starting to, to dig Omega a little bit. Um, so the main story is subdivided into three simultaneous events in which the cheese are dealing with stragglers from their battle with the new cardum and if the benevolent from the first book a mysterious group of refugees that want to, wants to join the beyond. They said, our planet is dead, everyone is dead, we need to sacrifice ourselves, join the beyond, and that, that way from the beyond we can help heal the planet. And then we learn that this is very similar to the force. They just want to join the cosmic force and help the planet from the nether realms of the force, but they, they call them, they call that the beyond. So one cool thing about doing the book in the outer regions or the unknown regions, we start learning more about the force. What we know the force to be, the Chis call it third sight, and now we hear it as the beyond. So the same concept from three different cultures, very different, the way of living, but still seeing the cosmic force in some way or the, the force in some way that makes sense to their, their way of life. Um, and then also a possible alliance between two rival factions that together might threaten the Chase ascendancy. So that's the story we have. Our, our Lani that we met in the first book dealing with the Nicardum threat. We have Thrawn at one point having to deal with these two rival factions that might threaten them away on the other edge of the chaos. And then Lakinda dealing with other, something else in the middle. And then the bad guys with half leaf and jigstoos moving pieces around the chessboard. So it's three stories in one. So this three-prong narrative has our main cast separated for most of the book, but allows all of them to breathe outside of Throne and his machinations. And what I mean by this is Throne takes over anything. If Throne's in any chapter of the book, he's going to be the main focus. And that takes away from the other characters which was one of my issues with Chaos Rising. I said, yeah, Throne's there, Throne is great. I didn't care too much about the secondary cast. It's supporting cast. I didn't learn a lot about them. I didn't care about them. Here, completely different. Throne is on one end, Aurelan is on one side, and Lakinda's on the other. So we learn a lot about all of them. Um, so on, on the second book of this Throne Ascendancy trilogy, Timothy Sam was able to put out, like I mentioned before, that is, is the concerns that I had after reading Chaos Rising. Here we get to spend more time with the supporting cast, get to know their motivations, and let us create a connection with them, or at least for me, a connection that I didn't get in Chaos Rising. The highlight of the returning cast is Lakinda. We didn't get a lot with Lakinda on that first book. We get basically half the book is from her point of view. And I, it's, I love learning more about Lakina. It's a great character. It's going to play an even bigger role in Lesser Evil when it comes out later this year. Uh, so we have a mid-cap 
So La Quinta is a mid-captain of the Sotlak family, which is not part of the nine ruling family, but of that 40 greater, and she, they want to join. So that's why anything that she does has to be by the book for the family. Um, so she's pushed between loyalty and honor to her family and loyalty to her commanding officers and the chief's expansionary defense fleet. Where does her loyalty lie? And that's even in the back of the book, you can see between fleet and family, where does her loyalty lie? And that's not for throne, that's for La Quinta. So again, uh, book about throne the back cover is talking about a different character she wants to prove to prove that she's worthy of praise but always seems to come short or has to submit to throne's crazy plans and wild tactics and even if she's in the middle of the battle the the glory always goes to throne and she's done with it she's tired of it she has to find a way of breaking out from that and by the end of the book she finds a way it's going to be very interesting moving forward uh, for Thrawn, like I mentioned, who is oblivious by choice, he can. It's going to be very interesting if he decides to learn more about political ramifications of the ascendancy um, inside the chief structure. But this might be the first battle that he's not prepared for because he doesn't care. Politics, you do whatever you do. I'm here to save lives. That's not that's not this trilogy. It's very political and Thrawn is ill-prepared for it. So we'll see how much that's going to play into book three. Uh, so locally for Thrawn, and maybe not for some of the readers, like I mentioned before, he's not present for a lot of the action, um, especially the ones dealing with politics, the political fallout or everything that is happening. But it was also by design. Uh, since Jixtus, he had heard about Thrawn, heard that he might be a problem. He wanted, wanted him as far away from what he was doing. So the one that told or that put into the back of the mind of um, Thurfian and Sistalmu that there was a, a something brewing between those rival pirate factions on the outer edge of the chaos was Jigstus and Hablif. That got to Thrawn, he got sent out to the other side of the chaos, so that way they could control the actual closer to home, which was a great job by Hablif and Jigstus just get thrown out of the narrative or out of the equation, we don't have to deal with him. Uh, I was fine with this omission, like I said before, because one of my biggest critiques of Throne and of Sun during my previous review was that nothing ever faced Throne. He was always ready for action. He could, he was, he always had an answer. So it didn't have any stakes. The book didn't have any stakes. As you know, nothing was going to happen. Throne will find a way. Here we, it's different because it's a totally different cast of characters. We don't know what's going to happen. So since he wasn't present for most of it, it created that every battle and every dilemma, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. So that made the book more interesting, at least for myself. Not to say that Thrawn and his unmatchable military mind wasn't in this, weren't in this play. There's a lot. We get plenty of Thrawn being Thrawn. From being the only one to notice a dismal change in enemy battle tactics to coming out with the wildest plant, attack plans imaginable, Throne is still the cheese to beat when it comes to, when Jesus comes calling in lesser evil, Throne is still gonna be the one to beat. But in this book, he played a smaller role and I was 100% on board with it. So the villains or adversaries, because they might not be villains if you might, understand where they're coming from. 
they're more fleshed out and are more interest, interesting in this book than on the previous one. From the cheese side, like I mentioned a few times, we have Turfian. Again, I, these cheese names, come on, son, give me, throw me a, a team, pop, give me a team, give me a name I can pronounce. Thurfian and Sistalmu. So their plan and motivation to remove Thrawn are better laid out. And by the end, with Lakinda's possible family upgrade, then Thrawn might be facing an uphill battle from within the cheese. Thurfian, who is also a myth, same as Thrawn, part of the nine ruling family, became the, I forgot the correct, now the, the patriarch the myth patriarch, so he's basically the one in charge of all the myth. So now he has a way to control Throne a little bit more. And Lakinda, who was part of this other ruling family, now is going to be part of the Sith, of the, not the Sith, the, not the other. So I'll tell you in a second, because I have it here, sorry. It is easy. So, Lakinda won't be any more part of her fantasy Stalmo, which is the one working with Thurfian, offered her to become a trial born of the Irisi. And now her name is gonna be, won't be Lakinda anymore. Her name is gonna be Zinda. She's a cool name. I do like Zinda a little bit more better than Lakinda. So Zinda, again, names. I think that's my biggest critique, not critique, pet peeve for my biggest issue with this book. So I just want character has three or four different names, but come lesser evil, Throne is gonna have to deal with a new patriarch in the myth family that doesn't care about him. Lakinda now part of the Irisi family trying to, now she's part of the nine ruling family and she has other motivations. So we'll see how, what's gonna happen. And that's just from within the Sith. Outside of the Sith, we have Hapliv and Jixtus, two aliens working together to expand Jixtus reach inside the chaos but do it, doing it so in a way that the cheese specifically thrown are not well equipped to handle, which is from within attacking their, their familial and their political structure. Both are very menacing, especially that first few chapters, that first memory with Hablif and Jigstus set, sets the tone for both of them. They're both menacing, smart and motivated. Although Hablif gets the majority of the pages here, it is Jigstus who I'm interested in learning more of, especially going, since we learned, sorry, by the end of the book, that his species are the Grisk, which are the aliens that were the villains in the previous Throne trilogy. And they have this uh, cloaking device for their weapons, I believe for the weapons or their tractor, because he's very interested in knowing how the Chiefs navigate through the through hyperspace. He doesn't know about Third Side and uh, the Skywalker. So he wants to know about them. And then as we, if I remember a little bit about that first Throne trilogy, that's something that when they were traveling to hyperspace, they get getting pulled out. And I think they have this machine that was cloaked that helped pull them out. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how Jigstus learns about it in the next book. Whew. So yeah, so although I did enjoy Greater Good more than Chaos Rising, there were still a few points of contention. Cheese names, I mentioned it like 20 times already, is still an issue for me. And here I have it. Especially when we have names like Lakansu, Lakris, Lakpro, Lakjeev, and Lakubif all mentioned in the same page. Like in three paragraphs, you get all those five or six names, all very similar because they all come from the same family. It comes a point that you don't know who's who. 
it can get very confusing. Um, also the buildup, the buildup to the aftermath of that final battle that would lay bare all the inner conflict of the cheese family dilemmas that we've been going for 400 pages was basically brushed aside under the rug because no one wanted to deal with it. It's gonna play a huge part moving forward to lesser evil, but here it was, okay, yeah, don't worry about it. We all got duped, we all got played for fools, let not say anything. So I'll mention it real quick because it's a, it is a spoiler review, so I say, I'll say i set it. So Jigstus and Hapleaf <clears throat> had made it into the chaos, into the ascendancy, and tricked three different families from the 40 greater families into believing that there is this mine, that they have this mine with precious metal in this planet. It's abandoned planet, it's just there. When in reality, that planet was where all these refugees were, uh, the ones that want to join the beyond, the Magis, that used to be their planet, they got run out of there by Hapleaf and by Nicardum and, and Yif the Benevolent in a previous book, that's where all those refugees came from. They got played into believing that this was up for the taking, basically. So three rival cheese family arrive at the planet at the same time, about to have a war between the three of them to take that planet under their family's name. But Throne comes in, does what he needs to do, and is able to save the day. But there's nothing happens. Nothing happens to the families. They don't talk about what happened. It doesn't break everything apart. It's just, eh, yeah, we, we all got duped. We're not going to talk about it. Okay, bye. That, that ending, there was really no resolution. That's where it kind of eh, lost a little bit for me. All right, let me take a sip of water before we go into our ratings or score for the different sections of Chaos Rising. Before we do that, let's finish up with Dale real quick. We're talking about kids in Star Wars and kids, Mandalorian, and now Bad Batch. So yeah, I said I have two kids, similar ages to Omega. He said, are they killing themselves sometimes? Uh, you don't have to answer that. Sorry, I did. I know how kids are. It just alerted, it just alerted me. I live. So yeah, there's a lot of screaming. Um, and where I live, there's, I have my neighbor has kids almost the same age of in front of me, like two of the three neighbors have kids a little bit younger. So yeah, there's a lot of yelling and screaming, but they're getting better. I mean, I'm uh, the youngest of three, so I know how it can go, but it's all good at the end. They're about their birth, birthdays are coming up. They're gonna be 11 and eight, so a three year difference. So there's still, one is obviously more mature than the other, but they still get along. But Kids, man, that's why the way Omega is is starting to remind me a little bit, especially that walkie-talkie thing. So we'll see. Whew. Okay, so let's round this out as we're reaching the end of our show. So, whew, excuse me again, greater good for story. So story, even though I had some issues with it, for probe droids. I can't say anything bad about... Timothy Son's writing. I can't say he's not a good writer. He's a great writer. It's a great story. I was engaged, like I mentioned before, not having it always through Thrawn's point of view or him being the one that leads the action. It made me like the characters more, like made me more engaged on the story because I didn't know where it was going and who was going to come out on top. So story four probe droids out of five. Ease of reading. I hear sorry. Ease of reading were back again out of three chaos rising was probably two and a half so 
it's a 420 more or less pages long so it is a long book not as long as victory price it's a little bit easier to read than victory price victory price to me like a month and a half i think this one just a week or so i took my time with it so it's not an easy read if you know throne if you know timothy sand style then you can go through it a little bit quicker but it's still not an easy read like some of the high republic books so okay not perfect but three probe drawers out of five for ease of reading um so we follow with another next category new characters i give give it a four so great characters now go to lakinda lakinda might not be a new character which seemed like it because she got fleshed out the most we don't get a lot with bakif who used to was a big force in the first book maybe a couple of pages uh Lani just mentioned a little bit more especially at the beginning and then in the last battle but here this is lakinda show throne and lakinda then you have half leaf of the Akbui who gets a lot and Yeeve and Jigstus. So new characters, great characters are introduced. Half leaf didn't make it to the end. He got killed by a farmer, Lakuviv, I think it was. Again, he was doing bad things. So half leaf didn't make it, but good character throughout. And then of course, our main bad Jigstus. So canon connection, I give it a three and a half. It connects great to very good obviously sorry to chaos rising connects a little bit to the other throne trilogy books now with the grisk in play their mention of the force so three and a half a good canon connection setting everything up for what's gonna be this final book lesser evil in november then expand star wars so this is something you gotta give it a high mark so expand star wars four pro draws out of five you learn more about the cheese way of life, their political ramifications of every action that they take. Everything is recorded so it can be used against you afterward. One thing that even though I didn't like it too much because it just goes on and on in the memories with Hapleaf and these two people about to get married in their year abroad, basically just touring the chaos. So you learn more about the cheese, but it's a little bit long, a little bit windy. They're going to this bird migration. But that's how Hablif learns more about the K about the cheese. So it has to be there, but it does expand Star Wars. The unknown regions are growing, and that's thanks to greater good. So finally, what's our overall score for Star Wars Throne Ascendancy Greater Good by the great Timothy Son? Our final score is three and three quarters. So three and three quarters probe droid for greater good so an improvement from chaos rising which was three three and a half if you like greater good sorry i keep confusing it if you like chaos rising you will like greater good even though there's less thrown in it so that might be a little bit of a a change but if you were like me that had some issues with greater good the pace not the pacing but the way that the story is written greater good fixes those in my eyes so give this book a chance if you love throne if you like timothy sun if you want to learn more about the unknown regions give it a shot greater good i give it a passing grade i used to check it del rey star wars another another great book by del rey someday someday i'll have del rey send me some advanced copies hopefully and we can review them here when they come out so that's it 
look at that perfect hour one hour that's what we want to do try to keep this show to a, a solid hour so thank you guys for being here thank you tony mr red thank you dale great to have you here again even if it's just an ear here while you're working but great keep working on your garden everyone's garden that you're doing over there and everything else thank you guys see you next week when we oh so i was gonna say this earlier i didn't i was put it on twitter later next week we will go live it's gonna be an early show it's gonna be a morning show probably between 10 or 11 in the morning i have to drive up drive down to tampa to the airport to pick someone up pick my mother-in-law and i'm gonna be on the road at five in the afternoon so we'll go live early in the morning do our review of episode six of the bad batch probably a quick a quick show next week saturday morning and then we have a few guests coming in weeks after those so keep an eye out keep an eye out so thank you guys as always for being here see you guys next week you know what the deal is stay safe be safe and may the force be with you Radio Rebellion.